Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. You know, I met um, Champ interviewed me for my first job uh, in the NFL when I was a scouting assistant. And so um, I, I met Champ my first year um, while I was in Denver. And Champ just embodies a lot of the things that are important to me. Um, very high attention to detail. He has a very high standard for all work that's done, whether it's big or small. Um, he's really smart in terms of just football, big picture thinking. Uh, I know he's a good evaluator. Um, we have a level of trust and respect to each other. So he's really been like, I can't even, the, the, the asset that he's been for us so far has been huge. Uh, when you have someone that you can um, say, hey, this is on your plate, you take care of it, and you know it's going to be taken care of to the standard that you um, also embody and to the detail that you want it to be, uh, that's really valuable. Uh, champ sees things and gets things done that I want to get done before I even know I need them to get done. Um, so you know, Champ's been really phenomenal in that way. And I think that relationship, even though we've went separate ways, which has been nice because he's seen different things and he's been with different staff so he can bring an outside perspective. Um, it just, uh, it was a no brainer for me, like even thinking before I had this opportunity, if this opportunity ever came, like Champ Kelly was always someone that was going to, I, I, I would hope, would uh, be able to go on this journey with us. That's Raiders general manager Dave Ziegler talking about his assistant general manager, uh, Champ Kelly, uh, who uh, the Raiders also hired. And it was almost obvious um, when you when you go back and look uh, at, at the timeline of everything. Uh, remember, Champ Kelly interviewed for the job of general manager before Dave Ziegler. And then Dave Ziegler interviewed um, soon after. And I had some people from the NFL uh, hit me up and they were like, don't be surprised if, if they hire both of them. Um, they're looking to build out a front office. They, obviously they're looking to build or, or um, hire a general manager, uh, but it's more than that, it's deeper than that. They want to basically redo this front office and give it a facelift uh, and bring in some really bright, astute um, front office executives to build a top-down organization. And so it was, it was you know, you can kind of foreshadow what was going to happen, um, especially when Dave Ziegler got the job and then I started getting hit, uh, hit up. Basically, it's, it's only a matter of time before Champ Kelly um, gets hired as well. I don't think Champ Kelly is going to be with the Raiders very long. I think it's only a year or so, uh, if that, you know, before he gets his um, uh, team to be the general manager of. He interviewed for with multiple teams uh, for that for that position, um, and I expect him to get uh, a, a job, um, his own, and and be able to run his own team sooner rather than later. But for the year or so, or however long he's going to be there, you just heard what Dave Ziegler had to say. Um, there's a lot of mutual respect there. Um, he's already leaning on him in a major way. 
Champ Kelly is already, um, you know, filling in some some major holes. You know, I, I talked to Dave Ziegler yesterday, or asked him yesterday about seeing things through the lens that he now sees them in. Uh, when he came to scouting combines in the past, or when he carried out his um, job responsibilities in the past for the teams that he worked for, specifically the New England Patriots most recently, he was looking at things from his position, what his job was, what his responsibilities were. And, you know, this is just like any other job. You don't overstep your bound. You have your lane and you stay in it. Uh, when the big meetings occur and everybody gets to talk and everybody's input is sought and, um, you know, asked for, then, you know, you can, the floor is yours. If you have any suggestions on whatever, um, you know, uh, be, feel free uh, to do that. But more often than not, you're staying in your lane and looking at your job and, and what you're being asked to do and giving input primarily um, in that regard. Now he's the general manager and that lens, as he told me yesterday, just got a whole lot wider. So you need people that you can trust um, to, to, to now kind of cover some of the things that you were covering for another team and, and have confidence that they're going to be able to get the job done. And what's so unique, I think, about this front office that the Raiders are building, and I'll throw Josh McDaniels in there as well because he's going to have a seat at that table as the head coach, the working relationship that's already been forged among the, really the three top decision makers uh, in the building now from, from a football perspective which is Dave Ziegler, Josh McDaniels, and Champ Kelly. They already know each other. They've worked with each other. They speak the same lingo. They kind of look at things the same way. However, they all three bring their own unique perspectives uh, as well. There's respect. They know how each other kind of rolls. They know personalities. Um, they're, they're friends. They're longtime friends. And they've worked together before. You think about that for a second and how different it is from what the Raiders are coming off of. And, you know, I think the experiment, if you want to call that, of John Gruden and Mike Mayock yielded some positive things, uh, but there were also some major misses. We just talked about the first round in 2019 um, that may or may not produce any player that's going to get, you know, signed to a second contract or even have their fifth year option. Um, picked up. That's a problem. That was a problem. And I don't know this to be the case, but if you're trying to figure out why certain things happen, and if you want to talk about 2019, you also have to talk about 2020. The draft of Henry Ruggs and the draft of Damon Arnett. Now, the Henry Ruggs thing, you can, you just can't, there's nothing to even pin that on like you can't expect there was nothing in Henry Ruggs's past to suggest something like that was going to happen it was just an unfortunate complete tragedy out of blue out of character too but Damon Arnett I I, I you know I don't want to sit here and say you could have seen that happen a mile away but you kind of could see something like that happen a mile away maybe not to the extent that it did or that it has it just seems like every time we look up, something else is happening. But you, you, you could have not predicted it, but it's not a surprise. Heck, even after the Raiders released Damon Arnett, when we talked to Mike Mayock, he's like, yeah, there were red flags. There was no player that we scrutinized more than him. I, I just, 
I wonder sometimes, and when I when I reference Mike Mayock and, and John Gruden and some of the misses that they had, it's when they got thrown together, and I know that was a hire by John Gruden. He's the one that hired Mike Mayock. They had never worked a day together in their lives, not through TV, not in a team setting, not not in any way. I know that you know uh, John Gruden. Um, it was a bit of a roll of the dice. Mike Mack had never been the general manager or, or a prominent voice for any team, for that matter. He was somebody that was a draft expert, quote-unquote, on television. And he did a great job and was affable and articulate and seemed to know his stuff and a hard worker. That was one of the first things that was pointed out to me when he did get hired. This guy's going to grind, and he did. He, gr- he, he was a, a, a hard worker. But I just wonder sometimes... If there was a little bit of a detriment in the fact that they had to get to know each other and they had to work at that and they had to develop a trust and a chemistry and um, and, it, it, and it could have led to maybe some mistakes that were made not just let's not let's let's be honest it wasn't just the draft Trent Brown you know some of the <laughs> Antonio Brown the trade for Antonio Brown some of the some of the moves that they made, especially early on, maybe with a better uh, understanding of each other and a, and a better chemistry with one another and a better working relationship, uh, stuff like that doesn't happen. Maybe there's enough confidence in each other and a relationship between each other that somebody could have said, why are we even thinking about bringing in Antonio Brown? Where we are as a team and as a, a, a team that's trying to rebuild What's the sense in bringing in somebody like Antonio Brown after some of the... I mean, Mike Tomlin ran out of patience with Antonio Brown. Mike Tomlin basically said, all right, no more. That's enough of that. If Mike Tomlin is kind of sending those sort of signals, especially if you're rebuilding a team, I'm not not touching a guy like that, to be honest with you, because I trust and respect Mike Tomlin enough to know if he wants to get rid of a player that's that good on the field, something's up. But I say all that to say this. I think the fact that Champ Kelly, Dave Ziegler, and Josh McDaniels um, have longstanding relationships and working relationships, the process of getting to know each other, kind of learning how each other ticks, and you know, sort of figuring all that out, that's already been taken care of. The Raiders can hit the ground running in a way that just allows them, it's, it's no longer about getting to know one another, they, they've already done that. So how do you make this team better? And let's get to work um, and, and, you know, uh, and, and make that happen. And there's, there's it's a, to me, it, would be, it makes for a seamless transition. Um, and, I, and I expect that to be reflected not only in some of the decisions that they make, but making good decisions more often uh, than not. And now, at the same time, there's also a staff that's in place. And Dave Ziegler talked about that staff as well. Some holdovers um, that you know he's been impressed with, that he came in and, and want to be here, um, are capable, uh, they are proud to be, you know, uh, working in the Raiders front office, and um, and he's been impressed with that. So, but that kind of gets a little tricky as well because you know, think about it. For the last three years, or four years, or depending on how long you've been in the organization, 
you've been looking at the game of football from a lens of John Gruden and Mike Mack. And so your marching orders basically were to go find players that fit this system. Uh, this is how we grade players. This is how we talk about players. This is how we evaluate players. This is how we build our board. And you've been doing that now for three years, including the last six or seven months on this draft class and this free agent class uh, that's, that's coming up. And now at the drop of a dime, you have to change that and adapt to an entirely new system. And I did ask Dave Ziegler, um, how is that, a, is that a hurdle? Is that, is that going to be difficult? And here's Dave Ziegler talking yesterday. It's not a big hurdle to clear. Um, there, was, there was actually some crossover um, also in what, they, uh, what Mike had in place um, and what some of his scouting philosophies were. Um, and so there was some crossover there. So not the exact same, but not like a totally different language. Right. And so it's really a small hurdle. Like these guys, uh, you know, they've all scouted for a long time. Um, some, most of them have been in different systems, you know, during the course of their career. So um, there, there's, there's more crossover, even in different systems, there's more crossover than you think. There is an element of understanding, right? This is what we look for, or these are the position specifics of a tight end. And so there's a teaching element. Uh, but they're good football people and they've been around a long time, the staff that we have. And so it's really not that big of a hurdle. But again, there is a teaching element to it. That's Dave Ziegler talking about uh, blending his way of looking at football and obviously Josh McDaniels as well uh, and Champ Kelly um, with the holdovers from a current staff that have been scouting college football and doing their evaluations on the pro side of things uh, in, in pre getting them uh, prepared for, for free agency, veteran free agency, they've been looking at it from through their lens for a long time now. And, and you know, kind of at the drop of a hat, they have to readjust or adjust um, and, and look at things from, from Ziegler's point of view and Josh McDaniel's point of view. Now, as, as Dave Ziegler said, it's not as big a hurdle, um, maybe, uh, as, as you would suspect. And I think one of the things that would mitigate that, too, and just talking to Josh McDaniels and, and talking to uh, Dave Ziegler, and I can't wait to, to, to meet and get to know Champ Kelly as well, but just talking to those two, there's a teacher element to both of them. You can, you can sense the eagerness to be able to lay things out and to teach and right now some of the guys that are holdovers there is some teaching going on like this is how we do this this is what we're you know we, think about it whenever you start a new job or get a new boss the the new boss is going to have their way of doing things and they're going to have to articulate that to you i i've been around a long time okay and i've had bosses that couldn't explain their way out of a paper bag and maybe they're good at what they do but teaching it is a huge issue. And if they can't teach it and explain it in a way that me or whoever else who's working under them now can digest and then execute, what good is it? It's, 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 it doesn't work. And I think just talking and getting to know a little bit um, and, and can't wait for that to, to grow and, and, uh, and build as, as, as time goes on. But just listening to Josh Jacobs and listening to, to, to Dave Ziegler, you can sense the teacher aspect that's involved here. 
And so whatever hurdle they have to clear, whether it's the verbiage, whether it's, hey, this is what we're looking for in a wide receiver or a tight end or a left tackle or a five technique or a one technique, whatever the cornerback, slot cornerback, whatever that verbiage is and whatever, um, however, or whatever skill set that they're looking for, it's going to be articulated in a way that I think is going to um, happen pretty quick and, and it's going to be able to be digested pretty quickly. Because I think, and I have a feeling Champ Kelly, everything that I've heard about him fits that same mold that Josh McDaniels and, and Dave Ziegler do in terms of being articulate and being able to explain things in a way that the people that work for you, the, the boots on the ground out there looking for the players that you're uh, describing are going to be able to go find uh, to fit this system. And, you know, I, I, I saw that firsthand uh, when I was covering the Rams. I know I talk uh, about my time covering the Rams, but that's w- what my job was. So uh, I have that as a reference. And, you know, when I, I'm not talking about a bad team now. I'm talking about a team that quickly turned things around. I always say 2016, when the Rams came back to L.A., they went 4-12. and 12. It looked like they were decades away. It was so bad that a lot of people in Los Angeles were like, we waited 22 years for this? Send this thing back to St. Louis. This is gonna, we're not going to sit around and wait for this team to get good. And overnight, basically, bringing in Sean McVay and his staff, and I always talk about the teaching element of that staff and how impressive it was. Um, and the general manager who was held over, Les Snead, telling me, man, hearing Sean McVay and his coaches articulate what it is that they're looking for in a player, it's like... It makes my job easier. And not only did Sean McVay and his, his, his coaches do it verbally, but they were very astute and very um, timely in being able to visually show it, like in a contemporary way, with videos, cut-ups, all the things that, that, that are happening now in, in football that, um, you know, the, the, the new technology and the new way of looking at things and the new way of doing things things in a... In a speedy on the computer on your phone sometimes but being able to teach that and explain that in a way where you know less than I got it and now he's going to be able to go teach it and talk to uh, his scouts about it it just helps expedite the whole process and it's just I, I don't know when I look at that 2019 draft especially in that first round the manner in which players, especially, um, you know, Jonathan Abram, and it took him a while to kind of get it going. I mean, it really took almost a position switch to unlock Jonathan Abram, or at least get him to a point of respectability last year. And then also Cleve Farrell. The thing that's missing to me is it felt like it didn't make much sense. Like, you're, you're drafting guys that don't quite fit what you're doing. And that's what didn't make a whole lot of sense. For two years, I know Jonathan Abram missed his rookie year. But for an entire sophomore season, his second season, he was literally playing out of position. And it killed the Raiders. How many times did we see him take poor angles chasing down a runner or get lost in coverage? It was like time and time again. And I know that, you know, okay, well... You know, this is really his rookie year. He's, you know, he'll get it. You know, he'll get better as time goes on. But the fact is, when you look back on it, and a lot of people were saying this the wrong way, you're asking somebody to do things that they're not, 
very good at. You're taking somebody's weakest points and forcing him to play that way when in reality, if you were going to draft a player that had that skill set, it should have been specifically to play a completely different way. And so the logic behind that, frankly, um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, really. Uh, I don't, I, I, I just, I just, I, I feel like that's not going to happen uh, as often. You're always going to miss, you know, sometimes a player is going to come into your system or, you know, make that jump from college to, uh, to the pros and it's just not going to, it's just not going to work for whatever reason. Maybe they're just not that talented. Maybe they, you know, uh, took the money and ran, whatever. You're not going to always hit. That's okay because that happens. All the statistics throughout the history of sports shows that. Not every first-round pick or draft pick, for that matter, or free agent works out. But you have to get on the right side of that, of that uh, line. You have to get on the side of your, your, you have more wins than losses or your win percentage improves and your losses get and your, your bad decisions get mitigated or, your, or your, the decisions that don't work out get mitigated. And I feel like this staff might be in a better position right now based on the fact that there's, again, a working relationship, a relationship already, and they speak the same langu uh, language uh, and lingo uh, and they're kind of lockstep right now. Um, and I think personally, that's going to lead to better decisions. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila in Bajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, live from the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. When we come back, we're going to talk about hand size. Uh, you heard me, hand size, specifically quarterbacks. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Well, I'll tell you what. Got a chance to talk yesterday to uh, Chris Olave, the uh, wide receiver from Ohio State. Uh, great kid. Um, was really pleasant. Uh, talked about the Raiders and talking to the Raiders and uh, how excited he would uh, be to play for the Raiders if that chance uh, presented itself. And so that was earlier in the day. Um, a little bit later on, later on in the afternoon, I should say, uh, I passed him uh, here at the convention center. He was headed someplace with one of his trainers. And I was, I was watching him and just, it was striking because he had such a determined look on his face. Like it was just seriousness. It was... And I remember thinking to myself, that dude is locked in right now. Like, I don't know where he's headed right now, or maybe that's just his game face that he's brought to, to Indianapolis um, here. Uh, but the dude is locked in. And so yeah, that was that, you know. Come to find out just a couple minutes ago, my guy just blazed a 4.2640. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, that's pretty fast. In fact, Chad Johnson just tweeted uh, when we're talking about Chad Johnson. Obviously, that's Ojo Cinco. I take back all the trash talking we did on the podcast, Chris. So, um, yeah, he might have just earned himself some money because the dude can play first and foremost. He's a really good uh, young wide receiver prospect. But that was moving, and I'm watching the video of it right now. Um, he was cooking with gasoline. Uh, here at Lucas Oil Stadium, a uh, great name for the stadium that he just did that in. Um, but I don't know whether that's good or bad for the Raiders because I don't know. Hard-pressed to see when you put the tape 
with the athletic ability and obviously that kind of a blazing feed speed, uh, I'm not sure he'd be there at pick number 22. But Demond, did you see that? Oh, yeah, I saw it, and I was just getting ready to respond to Levi Edwards from Raiders.com because I tweeted, I was like, yeah, he's not going to be there at 22. Oh, and, you just cut off, man. What would you say? Oh, I just told Levi Edwards, I was like, he's not going to be there at 22. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen at this point. So, um, however, by the way, um, I, I ran into Levi yesterday, and I was like, dude, you got to get over there to the bench. The bench press – um, is right behind. It's there's it's curtained off from uh, where we do the media interviews, and so there's a there's a, a, a media interview room uh, where all where you see all the TV guys and all that kind of stuff. Curtain, and then the bench press area, and then I'm sitting here staring right at it right now, and then Radio Row. Um, but I told Levi, dude, you got to go over there and just yeah, you know, go show him what you could do because when you know what I'm talking about, Levi uh, is put together, man, in a very good way. And uh, I bet you he'd be able to uh, to impress some people out here uh, with his bench press skills. But yeah, you're 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 probably right. Uh, 22 looks a little bit ambitious uh, at that at this point. So if the Raiders, um, you know, uh, want Chris Olave, they're probably going to have to trade up. Um, and uh, I'm not so sure that that's. I, I have a feeling that they'd be more of a team that's willing to trade down than trade up. Uh, but but we'll see. Um, but that doesn't. He's not the only good wide receiver uh, out here. There's a whole bunch of good looking um, uh, wide receivers, and I don't think as you know. Yesterday, um, some we were talking about this yesterday. It might not be the top heavy um, wide receiver group that it's been in the um, in, in the past here. Um, when you're talking about the uh, Jamar Chases and the Justin Jeffersons, Henry Ruggs, obviously, it just seemed like there was a little bit more star power um, in, in past drafts, uh, most recently, last year too. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not some really good wide receivers out there. And the one that's really kind of caught my eye as well is Traylon Burks, Traylon Burks from um, Arkansas. I have not seen him run his 40. Devon, if you have, uh, I'm really curious what his 40 time was, um, uh, if you have that. I'm not sure he's even run it yet, but uh, keep an eye on that um, and, and let me know. Because in terms of physical traits, you're talking about a six foot three, 225 uh, athlete wide receiver. And I think he checked in with some astronomical wingspan. What was it? 79 inch uh, wingspan, which, man, when you're a wide receiver and you've got height at 6'3, you've got size at 225, so you can, you know, kind of play the basketball game uh, side of, of wide receiver where you're boxing out. But when you have that arm length, now you're really almost a 6'8 kind of a dude. And when we're talking about jumping up and going to get the ball and catch radius, when you have that kind of arm length, um, it's 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 pretty special, which brings me to the other side of the spectrum, and that's hand size. And poor Kenny Pickens, the uh, quarterback from the University of Pittsburgh, uh, or uh, Kenny Pickens, Kenny Pickett uh, from from the University of Pittsburgh. By all accounts, a first round caliber quarterback. He obviously put it together last year uh, with with the University of Pittsburgh. Threw out some great numbers, uh, completed a high percentage of his passes, lots of yards, lots of touchdowns, not a whole lot of turnovers, um, and really caught the eye of everybody. Not that I wouldn't say that he came out of nowhere, but you know I don't think anyone necessarily foresaw 
uh, the growth that he and the maturity that he showed this year, this past season. Um, but, and we all know that quarterback hand size is important. You might want to, you might laugh at it, you might scoff at it, you might say, "Oh, it doesn't mean anything." Well, it actually does. Um, and there's a cutoff where you're really treading into dangerous territory if you don't come in at a certain, uh, you know, hand size, and it's nine inches. Well, and even at that point, you're on the low side. At, uh, straight nine inches, that's what Joe Burrow was. I mean, obviously, he's shown that it, that didn't matter for him. Uh, but not a whole lot of players excel with his hand size. What does Kenny Pickett check in at today? I think it was yesterday that he, that he actually took the measurement. Eight and a half inches, which is, I don't think there's a quarterback demand in the NFL, at least a starting quarterback in the NFL, that has hand size that. Small. No, if he were, if he were in, in the league today, like if he, you know, let's fast forward a few months, if he was a starting quarterback, he'd have the smallest hands in the league. There's nobody in the NFL that has hands that small. And we already know that hand size plays a really important role because you're talking about being able to spin the football and grip the football. And keep in mind, Damon, the NFL football is an inch, I think, maybe an, a, a shade of an inch bigger than the college ball. So if you can't grip the football in a way that gives you um, – that creates the kind of velocity that you're looking for on your passes, that's a problem. It also, I think, uh, contributes to, uh, to turnovers, uh, you know, fumbling the ball. You, you just don't, you don't have as secure a hold on the ball uh, if you don't have, you know, bigger hands or big enough hands. All right, Damon, are you just completely scared away by the eight and a half inch um, uh, hand size of, of Pickett? Not at all. Oh. I think it's one of those things where... People make too big of a deal about it. Would he have the smallest hands in the league at quarterback? So what? Can he play? The, it was the thing from Ross Tucker today where Ross Tucker says, I don't know. I don't think he'd be able to play quarterback in a cold weather city like Pittsburgh. He did it in college. In the no, that same was totally sarcastic. Of Pittsburgh. He, he was being totally sarcastic. That oh, was he the was whole being point. sarcastic he, about it. Okay. Yeah, because he did. <laughs> Yeah, so exactly. exactly So I don't think that this hand size matters. If it's that big of a deal, hey, wear two gloves. You can be the new Teddy Two Gloves. Just put some gloves on them or something. I don't think that it matters. Maybe it may. Maybe his thumb being double jointed. Maybe that that. Maybe that has something else to do with it. Maybe that's affecting his hand size more than we know about his thumb being double jointed. I don't know, but it's not that big of a deal to me. Yes, and uh, you bring up a good point. I was going to go there with the double jointed thumb, which. I'm not sure what exactly that all means, but maybe it, it gives him, um, you know, uh, or, or creates better security with the ball and, and being able to grip it and spin it and throw it uh, and create the velocity that you need and make all the throws that you need. So, um, and it certainly didn't show up on the field, at least in college. Um, he he tore it up last year with the University of Pittsburgh. So uh, I'm not so sure what to, to make of it, but here's the thing. 
Um, and I know that people in the NFL are poo-pooing it and saying, you know, uh, at least the reports that I'm that I'm seeing. I really haven't talked to anybody about um, about him or about the hand size specifically, because you know I don't think the Raiders are in my world covering the Raiders. I don't think they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round. So um, you know, evaluating Kenny Pickett, it just it's not um, it's not something that's on my radar right now or any of the top flight quarterbacks. But reading um, as and seeing some of the tweets, uh, other reporters uh, who cover teams that do need quarterbacks are saying, "Hey, the ta- the, the NFL people that we talk to, uh, they're not making a, that big of a deal out of it." Demond Cotton certainly isn't making a big deal out of it. Um, Joe but, Burrow also has small hands. Yeah, uh, but it's still a half an of an inch more. His he's nine. <laughs> this guy. This guy. This. I'm reading this. Um, of the 663 quarterback prospects who've had their hands measured since 1987, only nine had smaller hands than Pickett. Not a single quarterback with hands smaller than 8.5 in- inches has entered the NFL in the last fo- five years. Uh, and this is from Warren, Sh- uh, Warren Sharp's um, eval- or, uh, uh, research. Sharp added, pointing to former Falcons and Eagles starter Michael Vick, who played from 2001 to 2015 as the last example of a successful NFL quarterback with 8.5-inch hands. Now, that is big to me because <laughs> I don't know if you remember or not, but Michael Vick had a arm and arm strength and ability to throw a ball all over the field, long, short, whatever, with as much velocity as I've seen in a long time, he he could sling it. Is that is is what I'll say? So, if Michael Vick can you know produce the kind of velocity that he had on his throws and the length and the accuracy and all that kind of stuff, um, then why I guess can't uh, can't can't you know can he pick it right? Oh no, he doesn't have Michael Vick talent though. He doesn't have Michael Vick arm talent. I, I don't. Yeah. Well, very few did. But but what I'm saying is, whatever his arm talent is, is not going to shouldn't be affected by his hand. Like like Michael Vick had a world class arm. You know what I'm saying? Like he could throw it with the best of them. So his hand. What I'm saying is his hand size didn't didn't deter him from being able to to, to throw the ball. Maybe it's just the fact that not a lot of guys have had that small size hands, you know, if, as quarterbacks. And so it's just, uh, you know, that it, it's not that they can't, it's just that there haven't been. But the last one that there was was Michael Vick, and he played pretty darn well. Because as I'm reading this, there's not a single quarterback with hands smaller than 8.5 inch, inches has entered the NFL in the last five years. I don't think that's because people are saying, you have 8.5 inches, we're not letting you in. <laughs> hand size. I think it's just that there hasn't been a prospect that's come along in the last five years as a quarterback that had hand size that size. It doesn't mean they can't do it. It just means that there haven't been any. And all we have to do is say, well, okay, Michael Vick had, uh, you know, hands 8.5 inches and look at what he was able to do. That dude could throw it, man. So, and obviously, as Demond said, Kenny Pickett doesn't have uh, the arm strength um, and and the velocity and just the throwing strength that, that Michael Vick had, but whatever his arm is, it doesn't necessarily have to be affected by those hands because Michael Vick, 
It certainly didn't affect his ability to throw the ball. So he got the most out of his arm strength with those hands at that size. But it is that time of year, and people are going to take a look at those type of things, Damon. And, and here's what I'll also say. You know, mistakes happen in the NFL, uh, in professional sports, in terms of evaluation, in terms of draft picks. We already understand that. We know that. But the, 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 the people that are in charge of making these types of decisions understand that too. And they want to create the, less, the least amount of hassle that they can for themselves. And if they're going to miss, they're going to miss because, hey, the guy you know, um, uh, just didn't have the talent necessary to succeed. But the last thing a lot of people are going to do is put themselves in a position where if it doesn't work out for Kenny Pickett, people aren't going to be able to say, why did you pick a guy with – history has shown that guys that have that size hands don't even play in the NFL. Like, like you're not going to put yourself in, the, in that position. I may not make, be making the best sense right now, but what I'm saying is they're, got, they're not going to give people an easy point the finger at you because you took a chance on a guy whose hand size kind of defied the norms of that position. So I wonder if it's if it, it, no matter what we hear about guys saying off the record or even on the record, ah, it, wouldn't, it, it wouldn't matter to me. It's, you're making too big a deal out of it. When push comes to shove and it's their turn to draft, and if they need a quarterback in the first round, are you going to take a chance, especially uh, early up in the in the draft? Because right now, Pickett is one of the you know, based on what he did at, at Pitt last year, and based on the evaluation of his playing, he's right up there with Malik Willis, I think, as the top two quarterbacks in this draft. You know, the guys that you figure coming into this week were earmarked to go in the first round. But because of this, you wonder if somebody is going to back away and say, look, I might miss on Malik Willis. I might miss on somebody else. But I'm not going to miss on somebody where the whole fan base is going to turn on me and say, well, that was obvious. We could have seen that one coming. Look at his hand size. So I don't know. It makes people skittish is what I'm saying. It makes people skittish. Even Russell, what, uh, Russell Wilson, his hands are super big you know so when you see his but he, look at there's a guy that went in the third round when he really should have been a first round because of a whole other issue he wasn't quote unquote tall enough it's kind of dumb that we do those things and we talk ourselves out of drafting really good players that showed you on the field that they could play because of a certain measurement and i wonder if kenny pickett is going to be uh, a victim of that you're in the huddle with vinnie monsignor brought to you by tequila and Bowder. Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Thursday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I think Raider, you know, the, the, the history of, of Raider football is exciting. Um, I think it's, a, again, it's a franchise we mentioned in our press conference. It's a, it's a historic franchise. I think, you know, that's, I think that's an attractive thing. Um, when you talk about, um, Las Vegas, obviously there's beautiful weather. Um, uh, it's warm all year round. We have a beautiful facility. 
Um, we have a new stadium. Um, you know, so I think, you know, all those things, there's um, a lot of things that um, we have in place in terms of our um, facilities that allow football players to maximize their potential. And I think all players that, you know, players want to be their best. And when you can offer players uh, a chance to do that by, you know, your, your, um, the facilities, your training facilities, all those different things that um, we have within our building that, you know, that's going to be an exciting thing for players to be able to go somewhere where they can maximize their ability. That's Raiders general manager Dave Ziegler, excuse me, talking about some of the um, advantages uh, that the Raiders have really created for themselves uh, a, the move to Las Vegas, um, the beautiful facility that they have uh, in Henderson, the beautiful communities that are in and around Henderson, whether you're talking or, or their, their facility, whether you're talking about right there in Henderson or um, Southern Highlands, uh, which is just a, a stone's throw away, or even uh, if you want to take the drive out to, to Summerlin. There's a lot to offer as a community. For players to be attracted to and when you talk about you know obviously it always comes down to money uh, but all things being equal las vegas is a pretty darn good place uh, to live to raise a family uh, to settle down uh, and to work and operate then you throw in the facility itself you throw in no state tax you throw in a great new stadium a lot is set up well for the raiders right now um and you know it's just it's 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 a it's a good time and an interesting time to see what this front office and this group of leaders where they take this to because I think there's a lot that they are going to be able to tap into in terms of the resources. Uh, the Raiders are now on a new financial playing field. That was the whole point of trying to get a stadium that put them in line with their 30 or so other colleagues in the NFL that were outpacing them financially, not because, you know, so-and-so was that much richer or anything like that. It was the ability to tap into your stadium as a resource to help now pay for salaries and coaches and facilities and all the things that make your organization top-notch and competitive. And I've told this story so many times, talking to Mark Davis about that very thing. Look, I don't, you could call me crazy. You can say that I'm lying to you. You can poo-poo it, whatever you want. I don't care that a new stadium is going to create or change my, you know, value in terms of how much money I'm worth. Doesn't matter. I just want to be able to take money and be able to be on a, or, or just I want to be able to be on a competitive, uh, you know, uh, playing field, the same playing field as everybody else. Because all I want to do is win championships. It's not about my personal worth. And it's about being able to fund a team in a way that puts them in a position to go win Super Bowls and to compete uh, with the best of the best out there. And even that playing field, that's all he cared about. And I used to, I remember when, you know, hearing that from him, thinking to myself, I really believe what he's saying. I don't think there's a egotistical bone in his body in which, oh, now all of a sudden I'm worth this amount of money now that I got the stadium. It didn't matter to him. He just wants to win and he doesn't want to just win for the Raider organization, 
but he wants to win for Raider Nation uh, as well. And I always took him at his word. And I think we're already starting to see some of the benefits now of where the Raiders are and what their um, and, and, and the evening of that playing field. Because now they really are pouring money into things in a way that they um, weren't really able to uh, in years past. Uh, so it's a whole new world for the Raiders, and it's really fascinating times because I think they've got uh, an interesting and intriguing group of leaders now leading the way on the football side of things. And where they take it um, is really interesting to figure it all out. And some of the decisions that they make over these next month, month and a half, are going to go a long way, at least in the immediate future of this franchise. I uh, want to say thanks to Devon Cotton for holding things down uh, at home court. Thank you to the listeners. Thanks to the callers. Thanks to Randy Johnson from the Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, coming in there and shedding some light uh, on Daniel uh, Fa'alale, who I cannot wait <laughs> to see on the football field uh, in the NFL. Who knows? Maybe it'll be with the Raiders. Uh, we're back at it tomorrow, 40, uh, uh, Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. By the way, Q Myers is going to be holding down the fort over at the Treasure Island, the Golden Circle Sportsbook at the Treasure Island from 2 to 6. So he'll be joining me. We'll, he and I will be pairing up uh, from 4 to 6 uh, as we close out the week and close out the scouting combine. Uh, looking forward to that. We'll check you guys out tomorrow in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador on Raider Nation Radio.